Join Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. When you're leading through change, explaining the thought process and giving people the whole story Give them the story of the team up until and through the next chapter. Don't just give them the next chapter and really involve them and bring them in under the tent to understand the thinking at a leadership level. Uh, I just think that goes so, so far in terms of driving performance and employee happiness and productivity. This is the Business Leadership Podcast, and I'm your host, Edwin Frondoza. Thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? How is your day going? First off, greetings from Slovakia. The family and I had to take a quick unplanned trip back home to celebrate the life of my mother-in-law. And we're taking some time while we're out here just to enjoy family and friends, the fantastic weather, and lastly, all the amazing castles that are out here in Slovakia. On this episode, episode number 120, I had the pleasure of speaking with Christopher O'Donnell, the Senior Vice President of HubSpot Product, where he led from a startup of $50 million in revenue to a successfully publicly traded company with over $600 million in revenue. What's super interesting is that Christopher is not only a successful technology leader, he is also a songwriter and a guitarist for the band The Providers. I find it really fascinating to hear the similarities between creating a rock and roll album and maintaining a tech product. In our conversation, we discuss why it's important to raise the bar to build a more diverse team through recruitment, to ensure a wider palette of abilities, and a broader culture. He talks about what drove him to make the difficult decision of moving from a super comfortable day job to join the startup world, which eventually landed him with an opportunity in a leadership role at HubSpot. And lastly, why creating a high-performing team that makes decisions while maintaining the scalability of the team dynamics. Today's podcast is brought to you by TrueShield Insurance, Canada's most trusted insurer for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Now, here we go. Welcome to the Business Leadership Podcast, Christopher. Hey, thank you, Edwin. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited to get started. But why don't we start off by introducing yourself, Christopher, if you could actually just tell the listeners who you are and what you like to do when you're not growing or leading businesses. Sure. Yeah. So my name is Christopher O'Donnell. Uh, I live in the Boston Mass area. Um, I work at HubSpot where I run the product team. And outside of work, um, I'm, I'm really a family you know, focused person. I'm a father and a husband before anything else. And I guess I have a, a passion for storytelling of all kinds and, and making things of, of all kinds. And that leads me to uh, a particular area of interest around music. Uh, in addition to technology. So I spend a lot of time 
building things and kind of cooking and woodworking and all that kind of thing. But a lot of time playing music and spending time with my family outside of work. Well, very cool. You are the Renaissance man, you know, oh, running, I guess, uh, running, running technology or leading technology companies or products and also getting into music and, and things that you're passionate about. And, and I definitely want to get into that, Christopher, as, uh, as we go along on this conversation. Since you mentioned your day job is at HubSpot, uh, maybe if you could share with us your current role, your responsibilities, and maybe... Maybe if you could touch upon um, your specific goals over the next six to 12 months. Absolutely. So HubSpot is a publicly traded SaaS uh, technology company, and we sell an all-in-one marketing sales and service CRM solution to small and medium-sized businesses. So folks come to us and they can do everything from hosting their websites to sending emails and doing CRM activities. We sort of have a full suite of what you might think of as front office software. So there's a bunch of software that we make. And my role is to lead the team of product managers and user experience folks. That's a total of something like 160 people right now and growing quickly. Um, check out hubspot.com slash jobs if you're curious <laughs> along the way. But we're hiring like crazy. And my role is to, is to hire and organize um, everybody together into teams and missions and over the next six to 12 months, I mean, boy, I'll say that just keeping up with the growth that we're experiencing is always kind of the number one challenge. And then clicking into that, what does that really take? Yes, it's hiring, it's recruiting, but also raising the bar, you know, and building a more inclusive and diverse and equitable team along the way, building a, uh, a wider range of skills that people bring to the table um, just a wider palette of abilities and broadening the culture. And I, I think that's kind of where I spend most of my time. It's not so much looking at the product and moving buttons around from one side of the screen to the other, or sort of pushing pixels and that kind of thing. It's really hiring the right people who are going to talk to customers and understand really what the market needs and make those decisions. So I'm kind of the product manager of the culture on our team and, and really the work culture. Uh, so that is is the hardest challenge, I think, in the next six to 12 months is, okay, boy, what needs to change in the way that we work? How do we make decisions about those changes? And then letting everybody know the story of how we work and how that story is changing and evolving into the next chapter. Uh, so that that's sort of the, the the two perennial challenges that we have. And they're certainly the main challenges for the next six to 12 months. Wow. I mean, put it into context because, and I just want to clarify, Christopher, you have 160 people under your organization within the product, within the product team. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. And I guess when, when you talk about the challenges of growth, it's a special challenge for any business leader who, you know, for those who may be listening and maybe are similar situation because it sounds like to me, and maybe it's only in your organization or maybe it's throughout the whole company, but you're trying to grow and scale like, 1x double your team size now, right? Right. I mean, it might look something roughly like doubling the team size every couple of years. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it depends and and we don't have, you know, forecasts and we don't share the the hiring forecasts. Anyway, I I, I don't even have them to share. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. But that no. team, you know, look, I was employee probably 235 and we're, you know, well over 3,000 now. Uh, when I showed up, I was one of a few product managers. We, you know, we could have a lunch where we would say, let's go, let's go have a product manager lunch. And it was one little table at the restaurant across the street. 
And now if we, if we want to do an event just for frontline product managers, you know, we have to rent a, a baseball field. So it, the growth is <laughs> the growth is really something. Actually, the nice thing about baseball fields is you don't have to rent them. You can just kind of show up. Um, but yeah, no, it's really interesting. All the layers of kind of management and culture and communication and, and how we kind of care for each other at work and support each other. It's radically different. And you know what? You're right. A year from now, two years from now, it will be radically different again. And the art might be in understanding, well, what, what needs to stay the same? What are our values and, and what needs to change and what's kind of the story there? Yeah, no, and it's it's really interesting. And I love, I love, you know, how you put in context from where you were when the, when you joined the company and the size of it. And I mean, that's, I mean, it's 10 X more now in terms of the size of the company. So, because when I did look at your, you know, your background, your career paths, I mean, you've met, led many different organizations in different contexts, whether you're the entrepreneur or leading different product management teams. I'm wondering, and maybe a lot of it um, is within your current role now, but are there key um, challenges or a difficult decision that you had to make that really stands out to you when you look back that helped you grow in terms of the business leader you are now? Definitely. The biggest decision or hardest decision was leaving a reasonably comfortable job with steady income that my family could depend on and uh, a very predictable next couple of years ahead of me and in a good team um, and coworkers that I liked to jump into the startup world and join a team of, you know, six people and really take a risk. Uh, some people thought I was a little bit crazy to do it. Uh, I took a, a big pay cut to do it. And it's what led me to HubSpot. We were That company became part of HubSpot through an acquisition. And then that sort of turned into this whole other several chapters, really. I mean, several pretty distinct chapters in the last eight, nine years I've been working on these products and working with this team. And so I think that's the big one, you know, and going from a sense of relative comfort and then thinking, okay, well, what am I going to need to do to radically change my learning curve and be around folks who are going to push me outside my comfort zone, you know, in the short term on, on the day to day, I'm not going to be totally crushing it every day. However, if, if you, if you draw that over the midterm or the long term, oh my goodness, there are all of these challenges that will address and face and experience and, kind of making that pivot from something that was more known to more unknown for the sake of learning at a faster rate was was the big decision. And I'm far from alone, as, as you and your listeners know. This is a very uh, common thing, particularly in product management, where, you know, in, in our line of work, there is basically no degree for it. Um, and so it's not as though you have people who are feeding out of undergrad into internships doing this trade for lack of a better, a better term. So people come into it from all sorts of different angles. And a lot of those people, a lot of the people on my team took a, some sort of risk in joining a product management organization when they had some other kind of skill set and pivoted into product management. And so I'm, I'm pretty common in this industry being someone who kind of had something going and then, and then pivoted. Yeah. I mean, and it's really interesting and I love hearing the stories from, you know, someone who came from a predictable, good paying job to take that risk. Like, was it, was it an itch that you had, Christopher? Was it, you know, 
you were you were unsettled or you just saw a new opportunity because obviously it's not obvious but maybe back then you didn't know that hubspot or you would even be acquired to into a company like hubspot at the time so even looking back you know was it just you were uneasy or you were just bored no it's a good question i i wouldn't say that i was bored i was you know a, a director of product management and I had a little team and we had a bunch of products that we were working on. One of the things I noticed was the speed at which some teams moved was dramatically higher than I was able to drive my team, mm-hmm. you know, and, and support them in terms of what is the distance between having an idea that you want to act on and actually having that idea in front of customers and getting that validation and improving that idea over time. Like what's that whole cycle time look like? And it was really having an experience uh, with Performable, which is the company I ended up joining as, as their head of product. I submitted a support ticket and their CTO, Elias Torres, called me on Skype and hmm. fixed the bug while I was on the phone. And I remember looking around saying, you know, what am I doing deploying code once a month in my job when, when these fellows have this completely different way of looking at it? And so at that point, I, I really dove in and I called him up uh, offline that evening. You know, I called him up and said, how, how do you do this? I mean, how, do you, how are you able to be this customer focused and to move this quickly? And that started a conversation that about a year later turned into me joining that organization and, and entering this culture of distributed leadership and empowered frontline teams and sort of get stuff done, uh, a high level of trust, you know, empowering the people who are close to the customer that, that became kind of the drug that, that I was seeking, you know, at the time. And so, no, I had absolutely no idea where it was going to lead. And it was in many ways, a lot harder than I even expected. You know, the, the acquisition was, was tough for its own reasons, but um, that, that was kind of the, the hint and when I went to explore that hint in that clue, I found out there was a lot on the other side, you know, a whole career worth of learning on the other side. And I said, you know, that's what I want to go and get. I want to learn how to get really good at that. Yeah, no, that's that's amazing. And and you, you just bring up a couple of things that, that's really interesting. And I just wanted to touch upon it um, to make sure because, you know, you talked about distributed teams and, and you know, focusing on that front line. Talk to me about that. Um, change of mindset and how that, you know, how long it took you to really embrace it and implement it as a leader. It's been very interesting. The whole idea is that you have small autonomous teams and very clear ownership. So that's pretty different from an organization where you are essentially waterfalling goals down from the company level. And of course, the company needs to have clear goals. The question is, what happens between the company having clear goals and somebody opening up their laptop and designing a feature or talking to a customer or making a decision, um, or are they even able to make a decision? The way I think about it is truly great companies, when you talk to them, the people you talk to have agency to go and do things, to make decisions on your behalf. You know, the Ritz-Carlton is famous for this in the sense that any minor issue you bring up to any employee at the Ritz-Carlton, they are empowered to solve it up to a certain you know, generous cost level for them because it's just so much better for the relationship to, to do that. 
And so that kind of thread was very interesting to me. At a startup, it's not too tough. At Performable, we had the support number on our website, and it was an old cordless phone that sat on the desk between the four engineers that were working on the product. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's something I think Paul English from Kayak kind of invented that having a, a big, loud phone in the middle of the engineering floor. And what happens is you, you don't want the phone to ring because you want to write code. And so as opposed to it getting filed away in some system, the engineers are actually on the phone with the customer. And that starts that culture of, oh, OK, let's let's just solve this problem so that we don't have to bother anybody else or ourselves with this problem. Let's create some, some different problems and try some new things and solve, you know, the old things. So that, that sense of ownership starts there where it gets very interesting is, okay, when, when you don't have four engineers and one product manager and the phone in the middle of the room, but you have a hundred <laughs> engineers, mm-hmm. you know, that's really the trick because someone needs to essentially translate, not a set of requirements, but translate this North star of what the company is trying to do down into a strategic mindset of the teams and then give the teams the tools so that they can directly deliver customer value without having to jump through a lot of hoops. And then, of course, all the checks and balances around that so that it's not total chaos. You know, like Netflix says, their goal was, uh, you know, historically to operate on the edge of chaos or, or something along those lines. Right. And I think that that's about right. You know, and maybe you want it to be a couple of clicks off the edge of chaos, um, but you, you know, you you want it to be aggressive, and you want teams to be able to say, "Oh, okay, here's an opportunity for us to do something customers are really going to love." I don't need to go get four different, you know, approvals for it and pitch it in a meeting a month from now so that it can get into a development queue. It's like, no, if th- if that's the idea and that's the most high value thing that you can do at this moment, you should be able to do it. You know, and that turns into a year-long roadmap, and that turns into these more mature, um, you know, scalable forms. The root of it, though, is still kind of that idea of, hey, look, if someone's on the phone and they have feedback, you need to be hearing it, and you also, in addition to hearing the feedback, you get the autonomy and the in the decision-making power to go ahead and solve that problem for folks. Yeah, and right on the spot, right? And this will bring me back to something you had mentioned, Christopher, at the top in terms of some of the focuses, some of the goals that that's put out to you or what you're trying to do at the organization is building these these not only distributed teams, but building a high-performing creative team, um, focusing on culture, focusing on the environment. What are your thoughts now of you know having this couple of years of experience and how you're looking to implement it now or even build upon what you have. Absolutely, I think we've learned. We're it's funny we were just talking about this earlier today because somebody said something in a meeting, and it seemed obvious to the people in the meeting. But we flagged it and said, just because it's obvious to the people in this meeting doesn't mean everybody knows and believes and has the backstory on this right. particular belief, you know, and one of the, uh, one of the folks in the meeting said, we've learned this. We learned this. I, I once said something and somebody said, if you think everybody on the team knows that we believe that you're wrong. And that led to the creation of our product values, you know, and basically taking these things that we learn, which include things like customers come first or act like an owner, 
you know, and we have maybe seven of these and publishing them, you know, publishing them so that the new folks who come in understand that there is a culture and they don't have to kind of pick the culture up from the water cooler and reading in between the lines and all of that. But there's an explicit culture. And we say, you know, a good job is, you know, culturally this and a dangerous approach to a problem is something that looks like this. And then over time that changes and over time you want to kind of mold and, and tweak that. Um, but that's, that's really the leader's job. The leader's job is to see those beliefs, to help form those beliefs and to really sell and market those beliefs in an authentic way across the team. And, you know, what you get when that's successful is a team of people who want to walk through the door on Monday morning. You know, the, the things that I, that keep me up at night, I want to know why people get a, you know, a pit in their stomach on Sunday night about their job? Like, why, why are you nervous for Monday morning? As a leader, like, I really want to know that. I want to know that. And I want to work with you to go and fix that so that there's nothing keeping you from doing your best work, from feeling psychologically safe, from feeling as though you can take risks. You know, how do we help each other be super kind to each other and supportive with each other? Um, I want to know, I want to know what it is that a team member is going to go home and open a bottle of wine and, and complain to their spouse, you know, about, <laughs> about their boss or about their team or about their mission or about their tools or whatever it may be. Like, I want those spousal complaints because that's the stuff, like, that's why people quit, you know? And that's also the same things that are, you know, leading people to exit a company or a team those are the same things that are keeping them from doing their best creative work. You know, I don't trust giving my boss this feedback or I don't, um, I'm not getting feedback myself or I don't know what a good job looks like. You know, the tools I have aren't uh, right for me to move as quickly as the company wants me to all of those kinds of things. It's like, let's shake those out and discuss them. And, And on a good day, we do, we do a pretty good job of that. And when we move the needle there, people really respond. Hey there. How are you enjoying this conversation that I am having with Christopher? But before jumping back to it, I'd like to take this time to say thank you to my episode sponsor, True Shield Insurance. True Shield is Canada's most trusted insurer for entrepreneurs and small businesses. True Shield not only will help educate you on the risks of your business, but also provide unique solutions, including the ability to purchase your insurance online. Simply go to trueshield.ca, answer a few questions, and get a quote which you can purchase. Let TrueShield help protect what you've worked so hard to build. Now let's get back to it. I really love how you talk about understanding what your team or the, the people are doing at home. <laughs> uh, about talking to their spouses about whatever it, it may be, their boss, the processes, the lack of creativity. How do you, or how have you successfully got that feedback um, back into the organization or to the right people? So much with feedback is we're learning. If you if you actually care, it'll come to you. You know, uh, the feedback is all there. It's all waiting. All you kind of have to do is ask. 
but you can't, but you can't ask in a way that shows or telegraphs that you don't care. So you need to do things like you need to ask for the feedback and then discuss the feedback and say, this is how we think about this feedback. This is why we value it. This is what we're going to do. And it doesn't mean if somebody says, you know, we had pizza for this meeting and we wish we'd had burritos that you have to write a wiki post explaining, you know, the pizza versus burrito policy. It's, you know, there's, you can be, you could be sane about it, but people will, people will tell you, I I really think people will. So we do quarterly surveys asking uh, employees how they feel about the company, how they feel about their role, how they feel about career growth. And we get just a gold mine of feedback, pretty good participation in that. And then we get up in front of the team and say, okay, we hear you. And this is how we're hearing you. Um, we do a lot of ask me anything sessions, uh, which are obviously not anonymous. The employee feedback is anonymous. We do ask me anything sessions where um, we'll get up for an hour, you know, two or three or four or eight of us will get up with microphones in front of the team for an hour. And people will, people will tell you what they're worried about. At least engineers will. Um, and I suspect the same is true of, of salespeople and, and other departments as well. But they'll ask you. The, the trick is if you don't care and if you're not actually going to think about it and respond and, you know, take action, mm-hmm. I think, I think over time they stop asking and you stop getting that. And that's true on the team level. It's also true on the individual level. No, that's great. I'm um, Christopher. I wanted to just take a look at, because you, you mentioned it and it's really fascinating to me. I mean, you have some passion, some side projects. You're a musician. I know you have a couple of things on the go, um, but to launch something as well. But I want to know from you being a musician within a band called The Providers, what's your philosophy uh, when it comes to the similarities between creating a rock and roll album and maybe developing a tech product? It's funny. I get this question a lot and it's kind of fascinating, I think, to see how similar the creative process is for building a product and, you know, writing and recording a song and and seeing that through to completion. It's fundamentally the same activity, which is creating something from nothing that requires the collaboration and talent of lots of different highly opinionated people mm-hmm. who, who come together around a shared vision of something that doesn't yet exist. You know, there's, there's really no way to brute force it. You can't, you, there's no amount of money you can pay people to just build you the thing that you have in your head. It needs to be a shared vision and you need to create a dynamic where people are comfortable pushing each other. Uh, a dynamic where there's a lot of mutual respect and patience, you know, and just like an engineer is working with a product designer, you have a, a drummer working with a recording engineer, or you have, a, you know, the record producer working with a backup vocalist, or uh, in technology, you have a, you know, a product manager debating something with an engineering lead. Mm-hmm. All of those conversations And the body language around those conversations and the give and take and patience and creativity and the special moment that gets created when people, it's not about building consensus, right? It's not about, um, you know, just drawing a picture of what you want and then telling everybody to go do exactly that. There's so much give and take. Well, what about this? Well, what about that? What if we changed the snare drum to be more like this? Or, you know, what if we what if we added a screen over here in the product that um, added a certain fu- functionality based on what customers are looking for? 
the openness and give and take in both processes is ultimately, you know, really what brings it together. And then you have things like, okay, well, you have people who are responsible for designing and, and people responsible for writing code. Okay. Well, in, in music, you have people who are responsible for writing, for playing, for recording, for mixing. I mean, these are highly technical um, areas that you don't just wake up one day knowing, you know, how to, how to perform that role at a world-class level. And you may not know how the person next to you does their job. And so how do two people who are building the same thing, but are, are working on extremely different parts of the same whole, how do they have a conversation? And, you know, how do you get them to break bread and build trust and try things in a way so that, um, so that there's a better result than if we just all came in, put blinders on and did, you know, the minimum required of us as described in some task. So I, I find it fascinating. I find working in, in the studio is the, you know, behind my job itself, it's the number two source of ideas and inspiration for these creative teams and, and cultures. Did you, it's, it's so fascinating. I love, I, I always like seeing the parallelism between, you know, work or business and other aspects in people's lives. So when you started, and I'm not too sure, and maybe you could share it and, and we could get into it, but when you started creating this music, creating an album, were you thinking differently or did you come into it as, like you mentioned, it's just another product? I kind of got my start doing the music stuff. Um, interestingly, my undergrad degree is uh, – the technical title of my undergraduate degree is computers and music, which at the time that I graduated <laughs> seemed like a pretty useless um, thing to have spent four years on. And now that like, that really is my life. You know, it's, it's really those two things plus family. And so I graduated and I did a lot of um, a lot of recording, a lot of producing, a lot of just small, small gigs working with different musicians and songwriters who had all these different personalities and we would bring in session musicians and, you know, wrestle with the physics of, of recorded sound and all these wonderful things. And there was something about it I really, really loved. And at the same time I was doing web development and kind of paying my bills on the technology side. And over time it turned out that there was an opportunity to, uh, to do something really fun from a leadership capacity on the technology side. And so you know, I obviously focused there. And about 2015, I started coming back around to the music uh, piece. And it was really then re-entering the studio and re-entering working with professionals that I realized how similar the jobs were mm -hmm. and actually how much the years I spent in the studio in my 20s, in my early 20s, how much that really set me up for, believe it or not, like a corporate work environment. And, and the two seem totally different. If you take a picture of people in a recording studio, it looks totally <laughs> different. From, but, but, you know, it's actually, it's the same dynamics. And it's like, how do we, how do we really trust each other and give each other space? It's, you know, you're waiting on someone to finish a mix while you're waiting on someone to build a feature, you know, and, and how's that going and how do you support them? And how do you create urgency without stressing people out? And, all the sort of soft skills around these things, it became very clear to me. I had really learned early on in the studio and then kind of honed in the world of technology. Yeah, I love it. And, and it almost sounds like to me that we're all artists. <laughs> until, Amen, man. Amen. Yeah, we're all artists until we figure it out, let it all out. Um, Absolutely. Krista, 
Yeah, Christopher, can you, I'd love it if you could name a person, um, maybe someone who had tremendous impact on you as the business leader you are today. Could be anyone, uh, someone who mentored you, someone alive or dead, uh, someone who you, who you really look back to and, and really helped you. I think the biggest turning point for me was a fellow named Andrew Quinn who happens, by the way, to be an absolutely monster guitar player. <laughs> um, and he was, he was a, a very senior person here at HubSpot, is a very senior person here at HubSpot, and has done a lot of different roles. And the roles have always been around leadership and leadership style and how to lean into our strengths and sort of shore up our weaknesses. So he's been a sales coach. He's been, you know, leadership, uh, uh, learning and development. He's done lots of different things where the businesses needed him. But what he did in, I think it was probably 2015, he did a 360 review of me Mm -hmm. where he interviewed 13 different people at all kinds of different levels, people I managed all the way to our CEO. And he spent an hour with each of them and just took tons and tons and tons of notes And then it took him, I think, six weeks to boil it all down into eight typed pages of themes, his commentary, and the direct quotes, anonymous, of course, from these people I work with every day. And I told my dad I was going to do this process. And, uh, and he said, boy, that's great. That sounds like a rite of passage. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, a, what a really amazing experience. Boy, I really respect you for doing it. And then the next day he calls me and he says, that's the scariest freaking thing I can imagine doing. And it was absolutely terrifying because it's like, okay, here I am. I'm going to face what everybody really thinks of me. Yeah. Good, good bad, and ugly. And Andrew sat down with me and we spent, I mean, hours talking about this thing and it was just a revelation, you know? And I, so the way that he was able to pull that together, the commentary and the, the art that he had, like that document itself was a work of art just in terms of delivering some, including some extremely difficult stuff to hear and, and some positive stuff, but boy, he did a great job there. And he, he's been sort of a mentor for me. He's helped me with public speaking. He's helped me with a number of things. He's helped me with guitar. Um, he's yeah, helped cool. me. No, he really has. He, yeah. it's, it's funny. I'll sit down with him and he'll say, you know, look at your body language when you're up on, on stage giving this leadership talk. And then he'll say, you know, let's talk about your quarter note bends when you play blues. Uh. <laughs> and, and, you know, he holds me to a, a he holds me to, to, to his standard in, all of these things, which is great. So he's become a really good friend. And that 360 experience was just, I mean, to say it was defining is is a huge understatement. I really got a a good blueprint of, you know, where I needed to, to point my leadership style and where I could lean into things that were really working for me and where, and, and here was the punchline is the things that were working for me were also things that were at other times very hard for people. And, you know, and so that was really fascinating. Yeah, no, that's great. And and th- these three sixty reviews or um, activities, it's always a good check in. Like, do you do it often now? Is it a yearly thing? And do you, within your management teams or, or your leaders, are you getting them to do this activities as well now? We yes, we do. Um, the Andrew Quinn thing, he ended up going through a bunch of leaders and giving them great feedback. I was 
maybe the second or third. And then he, he took a period of time where he did nothing except that. And that was massively helpful. And, uh, and by the way, everybody who had one done, we sort of, you know, had had some respect for whoever had been through it. It's sort of like going through some sort of boot camp or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, and a lot of people, I mean, I have friends who went through that process, colleagues that I work with, where it just really gave them a sense of ease in what they did mm-hmm. and, you know, let them just see themselves, myself included, and just, just do more of what's working. You know, I mean, just do more of what's working. So it's become a regular thing. We do upward feedback for leadership um, a couple of times a year. You know, if you do it constantly, then you turn into one of these cultures where you spend 25% of your time just doing 360s for the people around. We're not quite there. Here's the part that I'm most proud of is that, um, you know, I have another one coming up in something like two months and I'm excited for that and I'm nervous. It's going to be great. But I know the people I work with the closest, they're not going to wait, you know, and uh, I look at some of the the emails that I get. I look at the interactions that I have and the interactions that I have with my peers, too. And I think the for me, the most valuable feedback is from peers. You know, feedback from your team is good. They'll color it a certain way. You need to get a lot of it anonymously, so it's hard to have the conversation. You know, feedback from your bosses is helpful, um, but they may not know the real nitty gritty of where you're falling over or succeeding the way that the people who are in the room with you all day, every day do. And so that peer level is critical. And I look to, for example, my engineering counterparts. I mean, these these guys will write me once uh, our head of engineering wrote me a probably three page email where he said, you know, Hey, not that you asked, but here, here are the two big things I think are your fatal flaws as a leader. Like these are the two holes in your game. And it was not easy to read, but you know, first of all, I knew he sent it because he cared and not in some patronizing condescending way. Like he really Mm -hmm. cares. He's totally rooting for me. And he would never, ever, you know, call me out to myself uh, if he didn't care. The other thing is he's sending it to me. He's not sending it to to my boss or anything like that. It's It's apolitical, you know? And so I took that and I read it and I reflected on it. And I said, let's make these two things you know, two of, of, uh, you know, my greatest strengths, the two things, by the way, I remember them clearly. One was that I, he said, I didn't have a team. I had a collection of individuals who reported to me Mm -hmm. and it it was true. It was a new team. I had hired a bunch of vice presidents and they weren't grabbing each other the way that they should have been. And so that became my focus. And so I removed myself from decision-making processes and I removed myself from some of these things. And over time, what happened was uh, I remember hearing in a meeting, a couple of them say that they were going to discuss a topic at their offsite. And I said, oh, you have an offsite. <laughs> and they said, yeah, yeah, we have, a, we have an offsite tomorrow. And I said, 
that's amazing. And so five of them had decided to take a day and hash out a bunch of issues together without the other half of the team and without me. And I thought that was just fantastic, you know, and they, they have now, that, that was a year, a year and a half ago. And that crew has really gelled and, and come together in a nice way. And then the other, the other piece of feedback was about, uh, and I think this is a fine line for leaders across the board. It's about projecting a sense of confidence and balancing that from well, balancing that with asking for help. You know, you get up in front of the room and you want to lead the team and you want to say, here's the mission, here's the opportunity, here's the path to greatness, let's go. If you do that all the time, and if you do that with your peers, sometimes they'll they'll call you out and say, Do you really have that? Who's gonna help you with that? And so that with the 360 has really helped me kind of look at. Um, a more realistic version of, hey, this thing over here, I have an instinct on, but I really need help getting all the details before we make a decision. I really need help understanding how to operationalize this because that's not, you know, my thing is going to be decision-making and culture and sort of selling this idea and figuring out what it's going to look like. The Mm -hmm. day-to-day operations, I need a partner. Hey, will you partner with me? Or hey, here's this person on my team. Let's let's give you this leadership project that's that's sort of above your pay grade and see how you do with it. Um, and so it was really helpful, you know. And, and, and in summary, you know, yes, we do it regularly, and we also will grab each other after a meeting and give a download and say, hey, here's here's what I thought of that, or boy, here's the agenda we should have set, or I think someone interpreted this thing that way, and just get to the heart of it immediately in the moment in addition to the periodic reviews. Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, I mean, that's, that's amazing. I really appreciate that. And you sharing in terms of, you know, these 360 reviews. Um, I wanted to know, Christopher, as, as we wind down our conversation, what else is going on in your world, uh, personal, business, any special projects, initiatives, or ideally something fun that you are super excited about, maybe losing, maybe losing some sleep on it. Yeah, well, we're almost done. We've been talking about this band, The Providers, and we're finishing the record and we're going to launch it. It's going to come out in fall of 2019. And I'm really nervous. Nobody's heard the music, you know, except some of the people, uh, you know, obviously the people involved. So you can go to theproviders.com and sign up to get some free stuff from us and to hear when the when the music comes out. I think it's going to be uh, I think it's going to be, you know, pretty exciting to get the feedback from everybody. And uh, it may be fun for your listeners to see business leaders, you know, uh, stretching outside of work a little bit and trying something new. Well, I love that. I mean, I will definitely put a link to theproviders.com on your on our website, but be sure to let us know when it does officially launch, so so we could we we could shout it out to uh, to everyone uh, everyone on our listeners and our in our social media as well, Christopher. All right, thank you, Edwin. This is uh, this is a lot of fun. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, no problem. But before we end, I'd love to just get a fine, your final thoughts, observations, ideally some type of actionable items that you could share with the business leaders who are listening today. I think in a way of summing up some of these learnings, the value of vulnerability and transparency in leadership is hard to overstate. And that was a hard lesson to learn. You know, admitting when you are thinking about something versus ready to make the decision, understanding who to involve in those conversations. And when you are leading through change, which is obviously a big focus of of my role, when you're leading through change, explaining the thought process, 
and giving people the whole story, give them the story of the team up until and through the next chapter. Don't just give them the next chapter and really involve them and bring them in under the tent to understand the thinking at a leadership level. Uh, I just think that goes so, so far in terms of driving performance and, um, and employee happiness and productivity. Awesome. To close, Christopher, can you share where we can find more information about you, HubSpot, the providers, or anything else you'd like to share with us today? Yeah. The other thing I'll say is go to HubSpot.com slash jobs. We're hiring like crazy across the whole company and basically always are. Uh, come work here. It's, it's a wonderful place to work. Um, we have lots of interesting people with lots of hobbies outside of work. We're hiring salespeople. We have offices in, in Cambridge and in Dublin, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, Tokyo, Singapore, um, all around the world. And it's a really exciting time to be a part of this super creative, super diverse team. Uh, we'd love for you to come and be a part of it. Very good. Christopher, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us on the Business Leadership Podcast. Thank you, Edwin. Pleasure to be here. That's it, biz leaders. Thank you for joining me on the Business Leadership Podcast. This was episode 120 with Christopher O'Donnell. If you want to learn more about Christopher, HubSpot, or anything else that we discussed, please go to thebusinessleadership.com slash 120. Please join me on my private Facebook group where I will discuss this episode. I answer your questions and connect you with other like-minded business leaders. Simply go to Facebook, search for the Business Leadership Group. Thank you again to my sponsors, True Shield Insurance, Canada's most trusted insurer for entrepreneurs and small businesses. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe, rate, and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening today. Thank you again. Edwin signing off. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com. Thank you.